what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson juniors john morantz joe johnson's jaw Rass, of course we've got jays we got on for days josh how you doing well maybe if we just at before next season decide which coach we want to talk about needing to have ncaa tournament success before the season starts we can just pick the national champion again did we pick Dan Hurley? I think you're right. I distinctly remember having a conversation about not not picking them to win, but saying at some point this needs to translate to NCAA tournament success. And, uh, mm. well, it sure did. <laughs> yeah, I think it was in the context of, of the Big East specifically in this idea of there's there's a Big East that kind of needs or maybe there's an opportunity for there to be kind of the place that the Big East runs through. and with the with the turning over of the keys, so to speak, at, at Villanova and not being totally sure, right? That's it's at least the most unsure the future of Villanova has been in a long time. And we we're kind of past the point of, of grace period, especially at this point in college hoops, when it comes to, I mean, UConn hires a, a new coach to take them back to Final Fours, right? That's the, that's the, maybe not even unspoken mm-hmm. expectation that UConn wins and competes for national championships. And you've seen whether it's Shaka smart, uh, whether it's, um, so, you know, just one of these guys that has completely turned a, a program around immediately. Um, you don't exactly get five years like you used to, especially when you're at UConn. And so, yeah, absolutely. And, there are officially no more questions about Dan Hurley. <laughs> no, and not that there were before, but just in the kind of instant gratification world of this sport, right? You can talk about how consistent and how good you kind of have gotten during the regular season, but mm-hmm. nobody wants to hear that because, you know, they lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. There had right. been this stretch because the last time they lost a game past the Sweet 16 or later is 2009. And they've got, you know, three national championships in there. But that also means you got some early exits and some disappointing seasons. And obviously, Dan mm-hmm. Hurley had not gotten to the, the deeper rounds of the tournament yet. And so it was just a conversation that was starting. And now that conversation is not going to take place anymore. <laughs> nope. 76-59. The UConn Huskies beat the San Diego State Aztec. They jumped on them quick. They were up by thirty by they were thirty six to twenty, uh, with a couple minutes left in the in the first half, and I actually had jotted that down as a if San Diego State comes back and really makes this a game that this little four run four point run that they went on at the end of the half, and then UConn got a bunch of opportunities right there at the buzzer to put two more points on the board and like Sonogo missed a layup and there was a, an open three that was missed, I think. And 12 just feels a whole lot better than, than 16, but uh, it was all UConn for most of the first half and uh, a, an, an SDSU run kind of two thirds of the way through the half uh, through the second half made this interesting. Uh, and then a couple made buckets, a couple stops from UConn and, the lead was back up to 12 or so ends up a 76 59 victory for the fighting Dan Hurley's and UConn completes the cycle of being crowned 
perhaps the best team in the country way back in mid-December and kind of falling off that conversation, never quite returning to it, but uh, showing in this tournament why they they probably should have been at least uh, only on the outskirts of that conversation when they struggled and then uh, solely a part of that conversation as we got deeper into the season. 31-8, and eight, they finished this year and the four seed gets it done in the national championship yeah, game. There's definitely some interesting things to dive into in terms of legacy and how this team gets remembered and how this run gets remembered. When mm-hmm. San Diego State hit those first couple threes, I thought, oh, we might be onto something here. <laughs> and then it became quickly, became very clear very quickly after that. We were, in fact, not onto much of anything. And then it was, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it was without a made field goal. There were multiple other stretches where it was four or five minutes without a made field goal. And, you know, give credit to them, right? They never, they never went away. Now the game was over by the last couple minutes, but there were, like you said, you get it back to 12 by halftime and you go, okay, not ideal, not the end of the world. This team has come back from deficits in the NCAA tournament before. And, you know, they did put a little bit of a run together in the second half. And there was that moment where you thought, well, maybe they're going to actually make this interesting. And then Jordan Hawkins, I think it was eight. And then Jordan Hawkins nailed another three. And then you went, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, it's like we've been talking about, right? They put the run together a couple of times, but not the run to follow up the run to actually get back into the game. And I think at one point it got as low as five. Yeah, it might've been. Yeah. Five or six. I think it was like 70 to 65 at one point or something like that. Yeah. Some were, Oh, sorry, not 70 to 65. San Diego State didn't, didn't score. It was like 60 to 53 or something, like something to that extent. Yeah, I'm I'm looking here. It just, from the beginning, you know, the story the story never... It was 60 to 55. Okay, yeah. With 519 left, Kashad Johnson made two free throws to cut it to 60 to 55. Right. And UConn went on a 16 to 4 run over the last five minutes and 19 seconds to win the yeah. game. So, you know, it... It was a little bit more competitive than the final score indicated, but the sc- final score was not deceptive in terms of who the better team was. You know, it was it was clear this was going to have to be kind of a magical comeback because of what UConn was doing on both ends of the floor, which yeah. is the difference between these two teams ultimately, <laughs> and and ultimately part of the reason that. The UConn probably should have been included mm-hmm. in the best teams in the country discussion yep. more, or, you know, for larger parts of the season than they actually were, right? It's such an interesting conversation about how the best teams in the country at multiple points this year fell off and re returned to that conversation. I mean, right? UConn, I mean, it was North Carolina's the best team in the country and they fell off the table immediately and never came back. And UConn, I would almost be curious if UNC was part of that. Because UConn, okay, maybe they're the best team in the country. They lose a bunch of games, fall off, and I think maybe there's a there's something to be said about, hey, I'm and there were teams like Alabama that were winning a ton of games and and having no long stretches of issues. So that's certainly part of it. But um in a, in a year where so many teams had a a fatal flaw, or at least one that that you could circle on the sc- on the scouting report, like that's their 
that's the thing that's most likely to be their Achilles heel. Yukon's Yukon's isn't I mean it's more like that's the most con, the most likely thing to be their ankle sprain, right? To use the to use the injury thing, right? If your Achilles heel, heel is right, you're just out of luck completely if you tear your Achilles, right? You just like can't use your foot as you as it's meant to function. Um you can tape up a sprained ankle, it might hurt. But but it it can it, it's doable to get through to use the the, the absolutely forced <laughs> the analogy there. But like you said, um, especially and when you looked at the three teams left in the final four with UConn, all of them had something way more glaring than UConn. And then on top of the fact that UConn was just the superior team from a talent perspective, it's uh, seems like the 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 outcome that we were headed for. Yeah, and it would have gotten even more complicated had UConn not won this thing. <laughs> but from mm. start to finish in the NCAA tournament, again, it's one of those things that we can get into, you know, were they really the best team, all of that. But there is no doubt that they were deserving national champions, that they were the best team in this tournament. And mm-hmm. there are some interesting, some path things I want to get into in terms of that conversation as well but they just obliterated everybody. And so that's ultimately what this is supposed to be, right? That's the only question we have to answer is Mm -hmm. who is the best team in this tournament? Because this tournament does not correlate to the best team over the regular season. And we certainly, from that perspective, got a deserving national champion. The the score lines back that up and there's no way to dispute that. For sure. For sure. Yeah, UConn caps off a run that includes wins over Iona, St. Mary's, Arkansas, Gonzaga, Miami, and then finally San Diego State. Only two of those teams managed to uh, eclipse the the 60-point mark, which is impressive. And when you go look at the when you go look at that bad run they had in January, there's a lot of like losing 83 to 73, yep. 82 to 76, 85 to 74, 82 to 79 in there. And since then, you know, there's a, you know, a random like beating St. John's 95 to 86, but there's a lot of, you know, the other score team scored 55, the other team scored 59, the other team scored 63. Um, and, and giving their, giving their expanding their margin of error by quite a bit with the way they, they shirt up that end of the floor in the last two plus months of the season. Yeah. I don't have too much else on the game itself. I mean, they got, you know, Sonogo had 17 Hawkins had 16. Tristan Newton was really good with 19. There's your 19, 10 and yeah. four. There's your offensive production. You got some, Bench guys, Klingon had four, Aline and Calcaterra had six apiece. It was just enough to get to get past the San Diego State team that didn't shoot the ball well, even though they made those couple threes early, shot twenty six percent from three. Mm-hmm. You know, they just didn't do enough of the things that they needed to to win this game and got Jade okay, so you got ten points off your bench. Jaden Ladie had seven of them, but there was a while where they weren't getting anything off their bench which is a problem for a team that's deep and has players who really produce off the bench. Nathan mm-hmm. Mensa ends with one point. Sonogo got the better of him. You just, you know, you got two five of 11s from your guards in terms of field goal percentage or field goal attempts. 
yeah, it just it just wasn't quite enough. No, no, that's that's simply the I mean, Matt Bradley who got off to he had more points in the first like 180 seconds of the final four game than he did in this entire game. Eight points on two of nine. It was just it w- it was just one of those games that like it was a game that it had to go like everything mm-hmm. had to go right for San Diego State. Yep. It was just one of those games. And sometimes it's clear in the first five minutes that it hey, this might actually at least go your way to the to an extent that you can that you can be down five for all of this game and feel like you're, you know, a bucket away the entire game. And sometimes it feels like okay, that better team just kind of feels like they're gonna be the better team for for the entirety of this game apart apart from that stretch that they get it down they they get it down to five and that's kind of that's kind of just what you saw right you're nineteen to fifty nine you're not gonna win many games period at the high major level when you fail to score twenty field goals and six of twenty three from the three point line doesn't uh doesn't exactly and you're happen. not winning that game i mean they kept it to seventy two but offensively it was clear early that they weren't gonna get to seventy. So you right. needed to make this game low 60s, try and keep it in the 50s. And mm-hmm. by by the point that that became clear, you kind of already had, you know, 30 points with five minutes left in the, or maybe even more than that in the first half. And so you're doing the math and you're yeah. going, oh, they're on pace for high 60s, low 70s. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much exactly what they would exactly have- what you got. You know, 30, 30, yeah, so 36 in the first half, 40 in the second half, they kind of, expanded it there at the end but yeah you mm. you can't give up 35 plus in both halves if you're San Diego State with the way that thing was going offensively yeah they would have you'd have to go all the way back to um February 21st against Colorado State to find a game where they scored more than 76 points yeah and then there's only one two three four five, six, seven, eight, so ten instances the entire season that they scored more than that. So just in general, and if you told me that, hey, you're really not going to get great defense from San Diego State for three of the four halves they play in the final four, I would have been, I mean, it was fine. And like the like the first half against Florida Atlantic was like yeah. bad. Like they that was just really out of character. And it, it it's not like it felt like they weren't playing defense in this game, but to if you told me that they were going to give up 70 twice that I'd be, I'd be a little yeah. surprised by mm-hmm. that real quick before we get to kind of the overarching things that I'm sure you want to talk about. I'm, I'm just kind of curious about this. Donovan Klingon averaged. So in this game, he played for 10 minutes, had four, three and four, three, two and one, <laughs> four points, three assists, so, sorry, four points, three rebounds, two steals, one block, one assist. He finished the season with 6.9 points and 5.6 rebounds. We have to assume Donovan Klingon is going to come back to UConn. Is that a, what do we think? I would think so. So what's the, like, like how many, like, what can Donovan Klingon average <laughs> as the main big at UConn? Now, this is also, is this assuming that Snogo does not come back? Yeah, just if Donovan Klingon was the was the, the main big at like just just like theoretically. I mean, what like seventeen and eleven? Yeah, I was gonna say six, sixteen and twelve. 
Because to me, he he played 13 minutes a game this year and averaged seven and five and a half. Yeah. So if you so double that, so and then add that. a little bit more, theoretically, if he's playing 30. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Because he's he's. So if you just straight up double that, it's fifteen. It's right. It's fourteen and eleven, yeah. but it's probably more like sixteen and twelve, seventeen and twelve, something yeah. like that. Because he doesn't have Zach Eady's offensive game, right? I don't. No, but he has such good feel, and he runs the floor yeah, so well. Right, right, right. He's gonna. He's kind of the opposite of Edie. That. He's going to pick up points, right, because he's in the right spot because he gets offense. Well, I mean, Edie picks up points with offensive rebounds too, obviously. Right, but he, right, he's going to pick up points in transition because you don't get back in time. He's going to kind of mm-hmm. just fall into 14 points without being a focal point offensively. Mm. I would agree with I just that. don't see him being a guy who, you know, when you need it, is going to go give you 32. The way that Edie can. Sure. I would agree but with that. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to be a, yeah, he's going to be a walking 16, 16 and 11, 18 and 12 guy just because he's going to, right. If you put him on the floor, he's just going to keep scooping up rebounds, keep blocking shots. And he's going to clearly, they've already figured out how to use him and he's only going to get better more confident. He's just, he's really difficult to deal with. Yeah. Oh, he, I, I could very much see him. Having an ED like jump where you go for just from being a you know a second piece in this two headed monster to oh that per forty minute averages those per forty per forty minute averages actually translate <laughs> where where you, you actually continue to produce at a similar rate when you start playing twenty five thirty minutes a game. Do you want to know what his per 40 minutes? Oh, this will be fun. Numbers sure. were this year. 21 and 21.2 points, 17.2 rebounds, uh, an assist and a half, a steal and five and a half blocks. And 5.6 fouls, 5.6 <laughs> fouls for a 40 for a freshman big is like, honestly, yeah. like could yeah. be worse. Right. I mean, like, like that, that inherently means that, right. That, that, 75% of that, right? If he plays 30 minutes a game, so that's 75% of 40. That's less than five fouls. Mm-hmm. And he's also playing knowing and that... Per 40 is also inflated. Yeah. And he's also playing knowing that he's not going to have those minutes, right? If you're mm-hmm. Adama Sonogo or Zach Eady or whoever else, when you know that you're supposed to be the guy playing 30 minutes, you've got to treat that a little bit differently. He could pick up two fouls in the first. You know, he was he picked up two fouls in the first half of this game. I think it just doesn't matter because he's not playing those minutes anyway. He's not going to get to five. So right, not only do you see mm-hmm. a good sort of starting point in terms of not fouling eight times in forty minutes, but also he can then learn how to kind of carry that over and just tweak the mindset a little bit, tone down the aggressiveness a little bit, because now it actually starts mattering. And in theory, if he's the, the big at some point down the road, you got to kind of just learn how to keep yourself on the court. But yeah, that's a very good starting point for somebody who hasn't played at this level before. He's got to be the starting center of the first team, all 40 minute team, right? 
Like guys that don't get to play anywhere near starter, like don't oh. don't play starters. Oh, okay, so the year. starters are disqualified. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like Zach Eady. Of right, course, I was gonna say Zach Eady would, would still really <laughs> awesome. Right. Yeah. I just yeah. mean, I just mean guys that didn't play starters yeah. minutes that their per forty numbers are just kind of kind of oh, ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see what this team looks like next season. Anything else on the on the game in particular? No, I don't think so. Where do you want to go next? We talked about this a little bit, but from a, from a legacy standpoint, there are a couple interesting things out there. So, first, I, I've come to the conclusion that the my view of this team is. The ceiling was always there. They demonstrated it. They then lost it and regained it, found it again, came back to it, however you want to phrase it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they were actually the best team in the country from start to finish. But from a potential standpoint, from a ceiling standpoint, when they were at their best, they were as good, if not better, than any team in the country. Yeah, you know, I'm actually staring at a tweet right now that's really interesting because I think I think there is an argument to be made that they were the best team all year by ex- against everybody except like three biggest teams. Yes, that's the other part of this. They won all 17 of their non-conference games by double digits mm-hmm. this year. Shouts to our our friend Lucas Harkins for that one. Now, can I seventeen? Can I run through? Double, then, double can figures. I run through that's crazy can times. I run through those games because that's the other part of this too that I want to throw in there True. so excluding the NCAA tournament just to start it was Stonehill Boston Buffalo UNC Wilmington Delaware then you got your stretch of quote-unquote marquee non-con games Oregon Alabama dude I was looking at the wrong Kempom I was looking at the wrong Kempom I was like what oh. are you talking about that's not their that's not the beginning of their I was I was at San Diego ah. State please continue Oregon <laughs> Alabama Iowa State Oklahoma State Florida obviously one of those teams was number one overall seed I can't believe you just left LIU out of there okay unbelievable oh yeah the 360 to Florida yeah I, I can't believe you just I can't believe you just didn't include LIU it's fine it's whatever the, I'll let them know. They'll the know. The 114 for sure. to 61 win. <laughs> is that the team that didn't they didn't that didn't LIU Brooklyn like just halt all athletics? Or was that St. St. Francis? I think it was St. Francis. One of yeah. those Brooklyn teams. <laughs> so you look at that and you go, right, okay, they're you know, they're destroying everybody. Now they did beat Alabama by 15 points. That counts for something, obviously. And then you're talking about three teams that didn't make the NCAA tournament. And Iowa State, who you can have your feelings about what what kind of win that is and specifically how it's viewed now as opposed to then. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the NCAA tournament and we're talking about a 13 seed, a 5 seed, an 8 seed, a 3 seed, a 5 seed, and a 5 seed. So Gonzaga's the best team they played in the NCAA tournament? Probably a team that clearly, I mean, if UCLA is healthy, they don't even get to that game. And obviously the guard, you know, we've talked about Gonzaga and the guard struggles, 
But at the same time, right, they're beating all these teams by 15 points. It's just so strange because I was looking back at the non-conference schedule to go. I was trying to remind myself exactly who they had beaten because then you go to the Big East and you look at their losses. Xavier Providence Marquette, Xavier Creighton. All on the road. Yeah, so you lost it. They lost to Xavier twice. At least the first three. The first three. Yes, that you said right. So they the lost road. to Xavier Providence and Marquette on the road. Then you had the part where you and I both got real confused, where they lost to St. John's at home, followed by Seton Hall on the road, and mm-hmm. lost five of six with a win at home against Creighton, sandwiched in between the five losses, and then yep. lo- right, home loss to Xavier, road loss to Creighton. So you can look at that if you take away St. John's and Seton Hall and go. Yeah, you know, they weren't great against the best teams in the Big East. They won some of those games. But to me, that's... On the road. What? Weren't great against the best teams in the Big East on the road. Specifically, right, right. And then, you know, they did lose to Xavier at home. But those things happen. So if you Mm -hmm. take away St. John's and Seton Hall, I look at that and go, that's the exact kind of resume I want. I'm not big into the win and loss record thing. I'm into... What do your wins and losses look like? Because it's completely understandable how you lose those games. And if you beat everybody else and, you know, you have your win over Alabama, you have win over Creighton, you know, you play Marquette really close in the Big East tournament. You beat Providence at home. You beat Marquette at home. To me, that's exactly the kind of resume I want to believe in. And will say, even if you lost more games, you still might be the better team because it's the same argument with the Big 12. You just have a gauntlet, in the, and specifically the way that the schedule broke out. They played Xavier, Providence, Creighton, and Marquette in consecutive games. <laughs> You're just not winning all of them. Right. But then right. you have the St. John's loss and the Seton Hall loss, and that's where it gets a little bit strange because they lost eight times to Big East teams and didn't lose to anybody else, which just adds to this. It's so weird to try and make sense of them because if you go back and look at the the national champions, most of them recently. I feel like we looked up at the end and said that really was the best team in the country. Right? When you're thinking about Kansas last season, you're thinking about Baylor, you're thinking about that Virginia team, the North Carolina team, the Villanova, Villanova teams. teams. Right. Villanova teams are the epitome yes. of that for me. Like that 18 Villanova team, like that's one of the best NCAA, that's one of the best college basketball teams ever. That team was so <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> and I mean, you can do that with this team. But also, this team was a four seed for a reason. And also clearly had the ability to go do what they just did, right? None of this was shocking. It's just such a strange place to be. Yeah, you know, I... I, I, I think I've landed on this was the most complete team in the country. I think I've landed there. Which is different than best. I will buy complete. Yeah. Um and I don't know if and I don't know if I completely believe that there's in this particular season is a difference between those two things. Sure. Right. And that's the other part of it is that it's not like they I would have loved to see them have to play Texas, have to play Kansas, have to play Houston, mm. just to see what it would have sure. looked like. 
Yeah. Cause it, uh, we just don't know. But right. at the end of the day, right. This was about, can you avoid having the fatal flaw and can you be the best team at the, cause ultimately that's the question is right. Who was the best team in the NCAA tournament? And it's very clear it was UConn. Mm-hmm. Now maybe yeah. Texas or Houston or Kansas could have gotten them on a day. Whereas you looked at the teams mm-hmm. they played and you didn't like anybody's chances once it was clear what was happening here. But you also can't um, you also can't take this away from them because it's not like they were just surviving these games; they were obliterating people. Um, if 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 we if we put together a game tomorrow in UConn. If we lined up over the next two weeks, UConn playing Alabama, playing Texas, playing Kansas, who's favored in those games? I will say if I am picking, right, if we're going to replay this tournament starting tomorrow, I'm picking UConn, 100%. I... Favored is just weird because at some point, right? Yeah, my point was just my point was just if if San Diego State won last night, and I said, okay, let's put them against Texas, Alabama, and right. Kansas, we still would have picked those three teams over right. San Diego State, right. mm-hmm. absolutely. And and I'm picking UConn against all all three right. of those teams. You can make a you can make a case that right, maybe you could pick them. At least it's going to be a toss up. At the very least, if not, right. UConn is, yeah, exactly. For the, yeah. for the purposes of winning a national championship, right, this tournament and winning six games, they were as good, if not better than everybody, 100%. And I think that's worth something. Oh, absolutely. I'm not totally yeah, yeah. sure what, but, right, it, it, it certainly puts them in a class different. Like I, like, I would agree. I don't think they're quite to the class of the, yeah, that was that was the best team all season. I, I I would agree with you that I don't think they're they're in that class. Like I don't think. I think right. I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and it doesn't tell you that they were the best team mm-hmm. all season. But they were the in the way that in the way that it would with some yeah. of those other teams. But I also but they're also not in the in the group of, and we've had a lot of winners. We've had a lot of national champions recently. Like we talk about the tournament not not weeding out the yeah. best team. It's done a pretty good job at weeding out the best yeah. team the last mm-hmm. half decade. I mean, the the last team that I would say for sure was not the best team in the country would be I don't know. The the fourteen Yukon team? The Duke team. I guess there's an argument that the fifteen Duke team was not the best team in the co- country. That was probably the Yukon team. But also but also, I'm not totally sure that that Duke team was I, like I. I'm not totally sure that that you that Kentucky team wasn't equivalent to the the 2021 Gonzaga team because that 2021 mm. Gonzaga team was the best team all year until they played until they mm-hmm. played Baylor. Now, of course, Wisconsin beat Kentucky in the Final Four, and not and, and it wasn't like it was Duke in the national championship game. But I at least would be open to the conversation about that. But I think you're probably right. That's that's a good point. They were just all of those teams were so good that made it to the final four that year. But the point being is that, right? It should this UConn team definitely shouldn't be talked about in the way that the last UConn right, team exactly should, was talked about. Um, and I, you know, I'm not going to act like I off the top of my head remember kind of the hierarchy of like the 13 season when Louisville yeah, that was won. the other team that came to mind because you got three different categories, but, right? You've got the teams that pretty much you just walk away going that was the best team. 
you got the ones where you go, well, it's not surprising that they won. Maybe I wouldn't have picked them. Maybe they weren't the best team, but they were clearly in that small group of teams capable of winning a national championship, which is where you put, right, that Duke team, that Louisville team, that, you know, things just kind of fell right for them. They were playing really well at the right time. Nothing surprising, just maybe they weren't the very best team in the country. And then you have the, they were not the best team in the country, which is basically UConn, <laughs> previous to this team. Right. And yeah, this UConn mm-hmm. team definitely falls in the middle of, it's not shocking. It's not that they weren't deserving national champions. They just weren't the best team in the country from start to finish, which again, is not what this tournament's supposed to decide. So sometimes the best team mm-hmm. from start to finish doesn't win because it's about six games and it doesn't, as UConn proved, it doesn't really matter what happens in the middle of the season and you play a bunch of good teams and you lose to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I don't remember, like Kansas last year was a little different, but even that Baylor team, there was, I mean, there were people ahead of that tournament picking Illinois mm-hmm. and the DeSumo, you know, Coburn team to win the, to win mm-hmm. that game, to, to win that tournament. Um, it's interesting because it's not, I don't like I don't have recollection of all of those teams being clear cut the best team in in the country. Yeah. It doesn't it just doesn't happen all that often that people like I think Kansas was kind of that way mm-hmm. last year. I think by the time we got to the tournament last year, people were were kind of on the yeah. same page with and that. Maybe I'm just um, putting my own personal beliefs about that Baylor team in there because I was very convinced sure. it was a two horse race between them and Gonzaga. And I think you were on board with that. Too. Sure, but that's different. But that's different than. But but we left that tournament. The point being, we left that tournament. It pretty clear that Baylor was the best team mm-hmm. in the country that yeah. year. Which is which is exactly the point that which is exactly the point that I'm that I'm making here is that like all of those teams were part of the conversation, and then we kind of got to the end, and it was like okay, that team was was probably was probably it doesn't happen all that often that people are like. We're, we're like unanimous set on who the best team is in the country and that team ends up right. winning the national championship. Right. Yeah, because you don't get to see those teams play against each other all that often, right? Because it's not right. usually two teams from the same conference. So you need to go see them navigate the pathway to... Because in theory, you're going to get some of those matchups along the way, whether it's Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, National Championship game. Right, we finally got to see Baylor play Gonzaga. And then that's what we have to go off of, and it was not particularly competitive. So you go, okay, well, you just have to then crown Baylor the best team because they just beat the team everybody thought was better than them pretty handily. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have those, those the group of teams that you feel like if they come out of this thing and look and are playing their best, that they probably were the best team in the country. And then, right. That kind of sorts itself out over, over a tournament. Ultimately where I've landed is that, that right. Of course, hindsight being 2020, but ultimately the place that we landed was that one of the teams that at least had, the, the, one of the most well-rounded, mm-hmm. if not the most well-rounded team in the country won this yep. tournament. And that was probably the best way to go about trying to pick a, 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 you know, in this year of everybody sucks. And, you know, it's not often that a one seed getting beat by a nine seed in the second round is kind of the hottest 
thing to do in your bracket, but that's kind of what it was this year. And that's kind of indicative of the, the season as a whole, but and in everybody sucks year, it was probably good practice to pick a team that was the most well-rounded. And as we've talked about throughout this tournament, Texas is on that list. UConn is on that list. And, you know, there are other teams I would have picked that didn't quite make it, but, um, but it would have been a lot of teams that, that, that made a pretty decent run. Yeah. Yeah. It- Exactly. And, you know, it's just it's just weird because, right, they lose the, the one possession game to Marquette, who then goes on and loses in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of wins, goes and wins the whole thing. And so the other part of this before I want to get to kind of moving forward, we also have national champions on both the men's and women's sides now that have a combined zero conference titles this season. (laughs) How about that? They, by definition, were not the best teams in their own conference. And neither of them won the conference. Now, would you kind of won the conference tournament? Had they gotten past Marquette? Yeah, probably. But they didn't. But they didn't. And LSU was just simply not the best team in their conference. It's just... And that's not to take away from their national championships. It's just a strange part of this that... I have this mental hurdle saying they were the best team in the country and they had nothing to show for it until the NCAA tournament. Now, you can also say, look, the non-conference doesn't count toward that, right? And that's where UConn did a lot of their damage in terms of the regular season. And then they very quickly excused themselves from the Big East regular season conversation. But then Mm -hmm. once the schedule lightened up, they got a win over Marquette at home. They lost on the road to Creighton. And that's all that happened until they lost to Marquette in the Big East tournament. They were just, you know, DePaul, Mm -hmm. Georgetown, Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, DePaul, Villanova were the other games there at the end. So they just had a front-loaded schedule. They took some lumps. They got it back rolling and then positioned themselves really nicely where they played a good game against Marquette, just came up on the wrong side, and then had a favorable path laid out in front of them where pretty much every time you took the floor, they felt like they were the better team, and then they went and proved that they were, in fact, the better team. Yeah, I'm kind of looking. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point. I'm kind of looking to see. So the only team, the only team, so like the 19 Virginia team did not win their conference outright, their regular season. They in North Carolina were both 16 and two that year. Um, they also did not win their ACC tournament. They lost to Florida State in the second round, or I guess that would have been the semifinals of the ACC tournament. Um, that says more about the fact that the North Carolina t- also went sixteen and two in conference, though. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm just I'm yeah, just yeah, looking. Yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, Baylor did not win the Baylor team that won the national championship. Did not win the Big Twelve outright. Right. No, sorry. Yes, they did. Sorry, they can't. No, Kansas two years last year did not win. Yes, the Big they 12 shared it outright. with Baylor. Correct. Yeah, they yeah. shared it with Baylor. Sorry, the the the, the Baylor team. That team ran away with the Big oh, Twelve. Right. They were thirteen. Because that was your Kansas was the Kansas was twelve yeah, and six. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I apologize. I was looking at the wrong year. Um, that's interesting. I was just looking to see kind of, kind of what 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 that suggests. I mean, of course, that Villanova team. I'm sh- I'm assuming. Yeah, no, they didn't. That Villanova team did not win the Big East. It was the year did they, they win the Big East tournament. 
trying to remember. They did. So there you go. They did win the Big East tournament. Right, because sometimes they beat Providence and sometimes things happen. And you know, if you lose two games, if you catch a couple bad breaks on buzzer beaters, that caught that can cost you a regular season title because the margins are so slim. So then you get that other chance in the Big East in the conference tournament, and neither of these teams, LSU or UConn, were able to capitalize on either. Yeah, I just feel like usually it's one or the other. And and I don't think, but also like the conversation is different. Nobody's arguing that LSU is the best right, team in the right, country right, in right. women's basketball right, this year. Right. Everybody, like the answer to that question is South yes. Carolina. So it would make sense that LSU didn't win the SEC or the SEC right, tournament. Right. Just to go to further make the point that don't need to make larger commentary sometimes here. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, you've talked about the future in a very abstract <laughs> and vague way. Where do, what do you want to talk about? There's a lot we could tackle. I mean, I mean we could talk. Yeah. I mean, are we talking tech? Are we talking <laughs> self-driving cars? Mars. Are we talking public health? Like, what are, we, what are we talking yeah. about here? Are we, or are we just talking about college? <laughs> I guess it's more kind of looking back to, but just this idea of... Ha-ha, the the, 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 the rare yes. future yes. where we look yes. back. Correct. Ha-ha. <laughs> Well, two two things that are not exactly related. One of them is in the past. One of them is the future. UConn has been the most successful men's basketball program in terms of winning national championships in the country since this started. What's what is this? Since they started winning, this... they have okay. five. Right. Nobody else has more than three. If I remember the numbers correctly. Which is just fascinating, to, and I don't really want to get into it. Are they a who has three? Hmm? Who has three in that stretch? North Carolina and Duke, I want to say. So they won the title when they won the title for the first time, two thousand four, right? No, I believe it was ninety nine. Oh, you're right. You're yeah. right. Sorry, I'm talking back. Okay, so that includes that includes early. The, the like oh one or whatever Duke team and the 2010 and 2015 okay. right 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 and then UNC was oh eight or oh seven oh nine oh nine is that right yes 2009 yeah 2009 2017 and 2000 oh and then there was like oh five team oh five I'm attempting to. And failing spectacularly to get what I'm looking for here. Stand by. Okay. Is this going to, well, we're going to go this way. Shots to the fireworks. Um, North Carolina won in 2009. Yeah, 2005. They beat Illinois right. and then won again in 17. 2017. Yeah. So Duke had, okay. yeah, gotcha. 2001, 2010, 2015. And UConn has 99, 04, 2011, 2014, 2023. Kansas has two in there. Villanova has two in there. It's just, again, it's just part of this program. It's just so strange in that way that, you know, they they haven't knocked on that many final fours and, and doors of national championships in between. But outside of 2009, when they show up, they just win the whole thing. And you look up and they have five and nobody else has more than three. And they've done it with three different coaches. You know, it it just 
to give them their props in terms of a, a program and their status within the college basketball landscape. It's not just that they're really good and they have the storied history and, you know, are producing all these NBA players and all that kind of stuff. They somehow, some way, right. And there are some, they've got just about every iteration at this point, some really, really good teams, some teams that you still don't exactly understand how they did what they did. And teams like this one where you understand, but you maybe wouldn't have seen it coming. And to do it with three different coaches, it it's just remarkable how they continue to find a way to just put themselves back into national national prominence and just kind of go up and down, right? It's not like they're always there. They've been somewhat underwhelming under Dan Hurley so far, but now all of a sudden you look up and you go, oh, these, these guys are coming because they just did what they did. They've got plenty of guys who are eligible to come back. They've got a really good recruiting class coming in. Donovan Klingon is ready to explode whenever that needs to happen, right? They're not, I mean, they are back in a big way where theoretically they should be competing for final fours consistently moving forward. This doesn't feel the same as the Kemba team or the Shabazz Napier team. This is the opposite of that, where it's not about one guy. It's about how good this program is and, and what they've got going and what Dan Hurley has built. And then the other side of this in terms of the future, are they even a top two team in the Big East preseason? Now, the answer to that question depends um, on who comes and who stays and who transfers and all that, but. Probably not. So you're with, you're with me on this. I mean, if Sonogo comes back, then. Sure. Then, like, I, like it's probably 50-50. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's certainly, there's certainly an argument. Just because Marquette and Creighton can basically bring everybody back. It's 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 an interesting conversation to me because it's easy to look at the team that just won and then is going to bring pieces back and add some some new ones and go well obviously they got to be among the favorites and also we could very well end up in a world where we have three Big East teams that are preseason top five uh, I don't know about that who else would you put in that con- Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> Kentucky's going to be the number one preseason team. Yeah, we're going to have a fun conversation about that one. Yeah, we'll have the same conversation we do every year, every time Kentucky's number one, because they have the best recruiting class in yeah. the country. Yes, um, they will probably be top five. Duke will be up there. Yeah, I'm going to keep it a buck with you. I don't know off the top of my head what recruiting classes look like and how that might impact things. But yeah, just, just from a. I just find it. I just find it really hard to believe that AP voters are really going to put three biggies in the right. top five. Because to me, I, those are the five teams I'm thinking about immediately off the top of my head. Because Duke's got a lot coming back and obviously going to add more pieces. You know, they're going to lose some, they're going to replace some, but there's a lot. That freshman class is not just departing. There's a good portion of that freshman mm-hmm. class that's coming back. You know, your Tyrese Proctors of the world. So they should be up there. My point is just. Life is very good for the Big East at this moment in time. <laughs> when you have three teams that are going to be that good next season, coming off of Michigan State has two five stars, two four stars. They're currently the number. 
They're currently the number three ranked coding class in the country. Sorry, that's 20. No, 2023. Yeah. yeah. And Moving there's some pieces class. coming back there too. So, right. Yeah. They'll be up there probably. UConn, yeah. the number mm-hmm. four recruiting class in the country yep. right now. Oh, yeah. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Just wanted to give a shout out to the Big East, and next season could be real fun. <laughs> if you've got three, okay, we'll just say even three top 10 teams plus Rick Patino, plus Kim English, who you feel really good about replacing Ed Cooley to keep Providence going, plus Ed Cooley going mm-hmm. to Georgetown. Right. Just, and, and we'll get into transfer portal later. But what ha- what happens if all three of these teams live up to their billing next season? Let's say Sin- Sonogo comes back. Rick Pitino does a good job at St. John's, and all of a sudden they turn, in, turn into an NCAA tournament caliber team. And Hunter Dickinson ends up at Georgia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yo, that'd be lit. Can we talk about how – like, shots to Bryant for shooting their shot because they have Earl Timberlake. Mm-hmm. And – who just is a friend of Hunter Dickinson. So they like actually were like, Hey, come play basketball here. I'm so here for the, for the Earl Timberlake, Hunter I, Dickinson, Brian. I love, I'm I, in. I, loved, I don't know what, what, the, <coughs> what the announcement was. <coughs> Sorry. I'm just coughing here. Stand by. I'm so in on there that. Was, just, that's just so bold. Well, my favorite part of it was that there was, the, you know, they had the official announce the, unofficial official announcements of this team has reached out or whatever it was, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> i saw one that said bryant has has offered hunter dickinson a scholarship there was no conversation it was just the scholarship was mm-hmm. offered <laughs> mm. i love that yeah absolutely I shoot your that. shot baby um uh trivia time so i was i was looking so first of all kentucky has the number two three four nine and then 30 Reed Shepard, what a what a slacker. 30th in the country, first in the state of Kentucky, whatever. But yes, yeah, uh, Justin Edwards, the number two, uh, DJ Wagner, the number three, Aaron Bradshaw, the number four. Those three guys play three different positions, by the way. Um, Robert Dillingham, which also is an overtime elite guy. Anyways, so that's not the that's not the trivia time. Their trivia time is there are two like perfect recruits. Can can someone be a one thousand on twenty four seven sports like a one point oh oh oh? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. But well, actually, okay, I didn't think so. Yeah, I, maybe not. I don't. Know. I'm not gonna pretend like Here, I actually know point. the answer. The, so so there are a lot of really high level all time commits for mm-hmm. Kentucky. I'm sure you'll be shocked. <laughs> there are only two that are point. 0.9999. Okay. There are only two. Can you name them? Oh, boy. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is one of them. Really, I want the trivia time because the other one. John Wall. No, John Wall is the number five all time okay. recruit. I was close. 0.9994. Oh, okay. Do I get any hint? Uh, your hint is that this was not a good Kentucky team that this guy was a part of. And if I tell you why it wasn't a good team, it'll give it away. Okay. It wasn't a good Kentucky team because this guy got hurt. This guy got hurt. At least I'm pretty sure. Nolan's Noel? That's correct. Nerland's Noel is the other point nine 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 
recruit. He is, he is according to, I don't know why, I don't know if it was because it's more recent, but they were both 0.999s. But Nerlens Noel gets, has the one above his head <laughs> as the number one recruit in Kentucky history. Wow. Anyways, that was just interesting to me. Um, also, also like the top 10, Justin Edwards, by the way, the seventh highest mm. recruit ever. And DJ Wagner, the ninth. And, you know, the factory continues. The factory is, is, is running well at, at Lex, in Lexington. Uh, Norland Noel, Anthony Davis, Scalabissier. Julius Randle, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. That's the top six. That yep, sounds about right. Kid Gilchrist is 10. Shaden Sharp was eight. See, yeah. Yeah, um, three, three of the top 11 in this year's recruiting class. <laughs> That's ridiculous, even for Kentucky standards. <laughs> yeah, three of the top 11 all-time recruits in this recruiting class. How about them yeah. apples? How about them apples? All right, you got anything else? We'll have to do do a do a rec- retrospective on the season because we had talked about mm, mm. review <laughs> revisiting our preseason predictions. So we'll figure out a plan. Yeah, forward. So, for sure, for sure. But for now, that is uh, that's did, a wrap. Did you see Max Ace on, on the, the portal? I did see Max. We're gonna have a lot of portal talk portal. to do too once these guys start making decisions. That that seems that's lame. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. Like I get it, but like I'm telling you. But he also there was also probably a I there's no way I'm getting a better Oral Roberts team than I got this year. So let's go let's go try to win a national championship. He was there for longer than I would right. have been. <laughs> it's to the point where right he, yeah. Not only did he deliver Max Smith is what, twenty seven years old at this point? <laughs> He only, not only delivered the, the Sweet 16, right? He actually stayed a while after that. So can't blame him in the slightest. And this team is best is definitely I mean, maybe hindsight that 15 C team was actually better because they had Kevin O'Banner, mm. but but this was still probably yeah, the better. One hundred percent. Anyhow. Go get you a chip, Max Acemus. <laughs> I'm so in. I haven't looked at what his like predictions are. I just sort of assume that everybody's going to end up at Memphis. To be honest <laughs> with you, um, he kind of feels like the next Kendrick Davis. If I'm being, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm really locked in on it, but we'll see. You got anything else? No. It's been a pleasure as always. Another season in the books. Always. There you go. Please subscribe to the JJ's podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all of those fun things. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days Podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs>